Hey, hey, it's Andy Anas, and you're listening to another episode of Pod Slam Jamma presented by Club City Control Room. On this episode, we'll talk about where the University of Houston football team is in the standpoint about halfway through camp, just all under two or just over two weeks until they kick off the season against UTSA. We'll also talk about uh, the red zone offense success that Houston had a year ago, and we'll talk about the women's basketball team's non-conference schedule. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Pod Slam Jamma. After the penalty, look at the time he has, and look at the throw and catch. Takedown, touchdown, Cougars. Drexler, what a pass to Anders. A key follow. Josh Andrews looks at Roberts. He throws it down for the Houston lead. Six steals in the first half. There's Blair with the steal. Picked up by Cam Jones. The offensive class so tough, and that's third game. Two possessions. Sasser tries and he hits. Tune has the receiver open. Touchdown, Herslow. They call him five slamma jam. Now, it just 16 days until the University of Houston football team kicks off against UTSA. So, just over two weeks, like I mentioned, and the cold open. And obviously, of course, when we get into it, there's still a lot of position battles that we've talked about it um, throughout training camp. We we mentioned how Doug Belk uh, really reiterated that one of the biggest things for the defense and something we've seen as a whole across the entire team has been competition. Um, there's a lot of battles ongoing with a whole bunch of different positions. And Dana Holgerson kind of reiterated that again, during his availability this past Tuesday, um, where he talked about just they're not really to make uh, name a lot of starters at a lot of different positions. Obviously, there's a couple that have been solidified, but um, we'll get right into it with four. We start with a clip. Dayon, how are you doing, sir? As always, my co-host, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Just counting down the days until kickoff. Seems like it's approaching fastly. Can't come fast enough. For sure. So um, we'll get right into it with this Dana Hogerson talking overall on just where the program is now at the time. They were just 18 days out until that first game of the season. Track, uh, uh, very pleased. I, I tell you, we're getting more work out of run throughs and evening walkthroughs. Just the organization of our staff have been very pleased with how our staff's working together. Uh, we're getting a lot done. We're where we need to be. We just got to keep logging reps and letting them compete and let this thing kind of settle out. We'll, we'll switch gears next week. You know, we got you know, four, four more practices this week. Monday school starts. Uh, so we'll switch gears and, you know, that reduces everything. We'll go through a mock week and kind of start honing on, on uh, UTSA. So, Dayon, before we jump into the next clip where Dana Hoverson talks about really not being ready to make any decisions at a lot of positions, uh, what has stood out to you just early on in training camp? Or I guess now that we are halfway through training camp, from what you heard, uh, we've we've heard from the players, we've heard from Doug Belk, we've heard from Hoverson. Has there been a, a common theme that, that has stood out above um, all with the, that they have spoken to um, reporters throughout early the early parts of training camp? Yep, the common theme has been competition. It's been healthy competition, letting players battle them out, trying to earn their spots. And, and with that, it means that they have depth. They have a lot of players, so no matter who's on the field, there's no drop-off at any time whenever you make substitutions. And so that's been the common theme. I can't wait to see what players earn what spots. And even though they're bringing back 
um, a lot of players, it still, still feels like that they have a lot of spots open in which their competition players can still earn those spots. And so um, I want to see what the final result looks like, and we'll get a chance to see as week one approaching. One of those positions that that is kind of open, and and I ca- caveat this by in terms of being open because it seems like Tejon Henry he's going to be clear cut the running back one heading into uh, the twenty twenty two season. But the position that is open, it's it's kind of the carries behind him. Who's going to be able to help share the load? Who's going to be able to um, make an impact outside of Tejon Henry? Um, and that's going to be something that we touch into in the second segment where Hogerson talks a little bit about some of those other running backs that can step up and, and make big big plays for the Cougars. Um, one of the other things that Dana Hogerson touched on, and this is something that, that we mentioned early out throughout the show, is that really that competition, like you said, Dayan, a lot of it is open, and they're just flat out not ready to make a decision. Uh, like Hogerson is going to say at the beginning of this clip, they're not ready to to solidifying a lot of players a lot of positions in a starting spot and that's something that Hogerson during his Tuesday availability said it's it's something that's been unique um now that this is going to be his third year fourth year under Houston you kind of forget about so 2019 20 and 21 so now this is going to be his fourth year and this is something that he said it's been unique um since he's been in Houston uh yeah um Nothing to report. <laughs> I know you need. I know you want uh, something, but um, uh, we're we're still battling right now. I mean, this is this is kind of the time where people separate themselves, and that just hadn't happened yet. So, ten practices into it, uh, you know, we have probably ten more before game week. So, uh, this is kind of push through and separate yourself time. Okay, so. Uh, we still have a lot of battles going on. Um, you know, happy with the competition, happy with uh, the way the guys are, are competing out there. Um, you know, today, tomorrow, uh, Friday, and Saturday are four very, very important practices to the point to where I'm not ready to make decisions on anybody at this time. Mike Overson, the right said right there in the clip, this is the time where uh, players need to separate themselves and really push through and make an impact um, and kind of solidify something that that'll get them into a starting position. And obviously, of course, we when we talked about cheap uh, plug um, in the Scott and Hallman podcast where we joined uh, Dustin and Sam, and we we specifically focused in on defense. But I mean, really, whenever we were talking to them about um, the, across all different positions, there were just various different players that we could list out. And I mean, looking at front, um, something Doug Belk mentioned last week, where really the players that kind of stand out and just focusing on the defensive line only, it's obviously, of course, we know DeAnthony Jones, Nelson Caesar, uh, and Derek Parrish. Those are going to be kind of the three guys that, that a lot of people have recognition for heading into from what they were able to produce last season. Um, but obviously, of course, he also mentioned guys like uh, Cedric Williams, guys that the way he described, they don't necessarily get enough credit. And I think this is the point in camp where a lot of these players are going to try to solidify that role. What say you? I mean, I, I agree. You, know, you heard Coach Hogan, he just said that it's kind of a sense of urgency to really practice well within these last practices before um, school starts next week and they get into their game preparation. So I think some of those players will continue strong practice because they're hearing different names to different players. But I think when it all comes down to it, just that power and their depth, whatever players they have starting, they're going to rotate them. They're going to be able to have people that produce at a high level to be able to – 
to affect the game in good ways, no matter who is on the field. And so um, I think with the way they've been recruiting, the, the way that they've been developing players has really been quite impressive. And I don't expect any drop off um, anytime this year from no matter who's on the field. And kind of uh, segueing a little bit, but before we, we get into our second segment where we talk a little bit specifically about how Hogerson mentioned a Houston Red Zone offense a season ago, um, August 18th, if we are recording this, University of Houston announced a official coffee donut cold brew sponsor. Um, the University of Houston has partnered with Chipley Donuts um, and launched what they're calling a strategic multi-year partnership that establishes Shipley as the official coffee donut and cold brew of the Houston Cougars. The partnership, and this is pretty big when it comes to the Houston Rise campaign, obviously, of course, the Houston Rise campaign is uh, the fundraiser that the University of Houston Athletics, the $150 million fundraiser that the University of Houston Athletics launched in terms, in an effort to help upgrade facilities ahead of the move to the Big 12 that will be um, official starting July 2023 when the Cougars join the Big 12 Conference. Now, as a part of the deal, 50% of Shipley's investment, so the original partnership that they had with the Cougars, is going to be dedicated to the construction of the new football operations center. Um, it, as a part of the collaboration, Shipley's Donuts Coffee will be featured at Houston Athletic Venues, including TDCU Stadium for Houston football, Fertitta Center for Houston men's and women's and volleyball uh, games, and Shipley branding will be displayed across all the venues. Um, obviously, of course, Shipley Donuts are recognizable brand when it comes to the Houston area and really when it comes to that Houston Rise program. It's been a, a pretty big week uh, just on August 16th, uh, August 16th, the same Tuesday uh, that Dana Hogerson had his availability, the University of Houston Athletics Program also announced a $5 million pledge from Trisha and Rusty Pennick, uh, once again to the Houston Riots fundraiser for uh, mainly for that new Houston Football Operations Center. And what they did announce in that uh, Tuesday news release was that they had generated now th over $30 million of the original $150 million goal that they had in mind when they launched it. Um, I can't remember exactly when they launched. I think it might have been at the beginning of July, but there are already about one for over one fifth of the gold there. Before we kind of segue into our second segment, any thoughts, Dayan, on whether it comes to the official partnership with Shipley's or just now that Houston has been able to fundraise more than 30 million of that original goal that they had set in mind to help catch up facilities um, ahead of the move to the Big 12? And it just seems like the, the alumni and the Houston Cougar family is really paying attention and listening, and they even doing a good job of marketing and build um, and generate the money that they need to upgrade the different facilities, things of that nature that you hear that they need to go into the Big 12. But one thing that really makes sense is Shipley, because not only you mentioned how popular it is around Houston, it's very popular for when U of H is actually right across the street in a third, third book, right on Scott Street, right across the street. So I mean, it's, it, it makes sense with that good. So it's just good to see them keep um, making the, the money and almost reaching their goal. Well, not almost. I'm sure they'll reach their goal probably before the football season ends. For sure. And, and one thing that they did mention on the news release is that um, they're going to begin to ramp up or they anticipate for that fundraiser to start to ramp up once the actual football season begins. Now, like I said, just over one fifth of the way there. Uh, but really something that that um, it's, it's kind of the beginning because we've heard and we talked about it in, in previous shows where 
Um, Dana Hogerson, Kelvin Sampson in the past, they've been on record as saying that it's really just the beginning when it comes to joining the Big 12, just uh, where those other programs have already been in terms of being at a Power 5 level for years before U of H. So U of H is going to have to come into the conference, and there's still a lot of catching up that they have to do. Obviously, uh, you have to start somewhere, and that $30 million plus now um, is a good start for the athletics programs. Coming right up on Pod Slam and Jamma, we'll talk more about specifics when it comes to the 2021 Houston Cougars and the success they had in the red zone. Plus, we'll talk a little bit of some of the position battles among the running back and a kicking battle that has taken place among the Cougars. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Pod Slam and Jamma. Right now, Paul Slammer Jam will continue talking football as Coach Hogerson, um, during his availability, talked a, a little bit more stiffly about different positions. But at first in this clip, he's going to talk about the red zone and success that they had and how he would like to duplicate that along with having more options to score touchdowns in the red zone. Got the ability to play all four positions if he wants to because he looks pretty good. So, um, Yes. Um, hopefully, no, we need to. Be, we, I thought we were. You know, I went through a red zone thing the other day. We were, as a football team, we were pretty good. I do these margins, and again, nothing that happened last year was anything to talk about at this point in time. But the touchdowns in the red zone, we were like third in the country as a team. You know, offensively scoring them, I think we scored seventy-one percent of the time in the red zone. So I don't feel like we have red zone issues. But if you can add. Uh, people to the equation to be able to score, that's definitely uh, an advantage. And then defensively, we were, uh, you know, top five in preventing touchdowns in the red zone. That's kind of the key when you get down there because you're going to have to, you're going to get down there and you're going to have to defend down there. It's all about scoring touchdowns. What about the running back here in Houston? So how has that worked? Uh, yeah, uh, Stacey Sneed's looked really good. Uh, it's time for him to play. He's been here two years and hadn't seen the, he hadn't dressed that yet for a variety of reasons. But uh, he, he's, he's, He's looked really good. Brandon Campbell has looked solid. Uh, Keelan has stayed healthy, mm. uh, which is good. Um, you know, and then Foley has, has Foley's Foley is just Mr. Reliable. So a couple of things to break down there. First, there on the, the spot of the success in the red zone that Houston had a year ago. And this is from data. I was able to go back and look at data from team rankings com and according to their data, the Houston Cougars were in the top ten. They were actually in a three-way tie with Florida State and Georgia State for the ninth best uh, red zone efficiency in 2021. They converted. They scored on 92 percent uh, of the time that they were in the red zone. They came away with points and. They were only behind West Virginia, Colorado, Texas, Alabama, uh, New Mexico State, Nevada, Iowa State, and Oklahoma. I think the biggest uh, kind of uh, improvement, the biggest takeaway from that is that it was a huge jump from where they were in 2020, where their red zone percentage, um, when they came away with points in the red zone, was only 84%, so uh, an eight percentage point jump from two seasons and obviously of course that's going to be something that the Cougars are going to look to build on uh, heading into 2022 and obviously of course one of the big kind of positions that help once you get into that red zone I know a lot of teams like to call it the green zone because that's really the best opportunity to come away with points is that running back position that Dana Homerson kind of segued perfectly into after he was asked the question and um, obviously the the first name that stood out to him that that he said had stood out in practice Stacy Sneed um, who has been 
with the Cougars for a while, hasn't been able to play. Anything else that, that might have caught your ear from Hogerson's clip, um, whether it be of the ret- freshman or anyone else? Yeah, I mean, let's start with Stacey Sneed. Like he said in that clip, he's been there two years. And like you know, players like Jamal said, that he's been there two years. But if you look, that first year, the COVID year, in which it doesn't count, and then he rest her last year. So he has two years of being in a college workout program to see what it's like. And, and it's not surprising that he's taking a next step. And Tejon Henry mentioned him last week as well as someone who's been very explosive. And then for Coach Hogerson to echo that, I think Stacy Sneed is a guy we should keep our eye on. We look for him to take um, some of those snaps whenever Tejon Henry needs a break. And um, he also mentioned Brandon Campbell, who everyone is going to notice it about from USC. He said he's been solid from over um, from USC. But he's a Houston native, and so uh, from what it sounds like, it sounds like Sneed has been making plays, and he'll be that guy after Tajon Henry. And, you know, they'll mix and match Brandon Campbell, I'm sure, get his vocal carries. But Keenan Walker is another name to look out for. He's probably the second oldest in that group. It's out of DeSoto High School, but he's, he's dealt with some injuries. He's actually a junior, and so if he can stay healthy and provide some as well, it's just more depth that they have. But another position is really good to score the, in the red zone outside of running back as wide receiver, and he talked about having different options. What do you think about that, that you can never have more options to score in the red zone? No, absolutely. I think that goes back to something that Hogerson said from the beginning. And I, I can't remember if it was his first availability at the start of training camp, or it might have even been going back to American Athletic Conference Media Day, where he said that he feels collectively since he's been here in Houston and since Clayton Toon has taken over as the starter, this might arguably, in, in Hogerson's words, he called it, this might be the best collective talent they've had overall around him, just in terms of weapons. And I think when you Focusing specifically on the running backs group, I know you mentioned the receivers, but focusing specifically on the running backs first, um, I think it's interesting just looking at last season. Um, obviously, of course, Alton McCaskill was kind of the, the star at that position. He took a lot of the carries, and and more often than not, he was starring in his role as being able to, to be the featured back and, and getting Houston a lot of touchdowns. Um, but really, when you saw behind them, uh, Tejon Herner did a good job of coming in in spurts and, and showing flashes. Uh, but then there was I, I, there was a bit of a drop-off when you think of uh, behind those two when it comes to Chandler Smith and a couple of the others that were uh, behind. I think when you look at this running back's position, and it's something that Tejon Henry told us last week, um, when he spoke to reporters, where um, obviously the biggest headline when it comes to this position group is Alton McCaskill. He's not going to, more more likely than not, he's probably not going to play this season uh, for Houston. But really, when you look at a lot of these other positions, they're confident that there's not going to be, um, and in what Henry's words were, they don't they don't expect a drop off. They expect that everyone that comes in and and plays minutes at the running back position is going to be able to make impact plays. And a lot of the different backs bring a, a lot of different skill sets to the table um something Tejon Henry said that he he doesn't necessarily just want to be a one-dimensional back where he's going down the middle every time he'd like to go out and motion go out into slot try to catch uh make a couple of plays so I think that's going to be interesting to see once the season rolls around kind of what is the versatility how different is it from uh that it was a year ago where it was a lot of ultimate McCaskill and a sprinkling of doses everywhere else now, uh, when it comes to your receiver position uh, question or about the receiver group, uh, you heard at the top where Hogerson, uh, Hogerson started with with Manjack, and he's been one of the key players that 
really throughout camp, not only Hogerson, but um, Tank Dell himself has, has mentioned, and not only has it been Manjack, but Keyshawn Carter, those, those two names have been the biggest where um, every time they get asked about the receiver position, those names get brought up. And I think that's going to be interesting. Just looking at what Houston lost uh, last year and, and Jake Herslow, who kind of, um, Started making plays for Houston um, th- towards the stretch of the season. They lo- lose him, but it's going to be interesting to see who can kind of step up and make plays. And something Clayton Toon himself uh, said last year, they have a pretty good defense to go against practice every day that kind of pushes them and enforces them to you know, bring it and be physical. And that's going to be an advantage. Them. It's going to be interesting to see beside, uh, behind Dell who can really be a playmaker and, and make an impact the Cougars in 2022 because there's going to be a lot of opportunity because a lot of attention is going to be on Tank. There's going to be a lot of Tank. And, and one thing I like about Manjack and what stood out to me, what Coach Hogerson said was he can play all three wide receiver positions. And mm-hmm. that's key. And that'll keep him on the field because as much as they like to move Tank around, they like to move Tank inside the slide, they like to move on the outside. So when you got a player like Manjack, who is a big body receiver, a 6'3, 200 some pounds, and can go up and attack the football, but more importantly, he can um, play all three positions. You can move him all the way around and still have Matthew Golden. Still got Samuel Brown, who is – we've seen him make a couple of plays at practice as well. But, man, Jack, I, I, I can't wait to see what he looks like. He sounds to be like a big re- opposing receiver who is, um, attacks the football and really smart, very instinctive, can make um, pretty much any catch on the field, inside, outside, and do pretty much everything. And so the receiver core, I don't expect it to be a problem. Houston has had great, re- good receivers Pretty much since I came in contact with Houston 6-2016, they had a really good receiving core. And so I don't expect anything different this year. I think one of these guys will step out and make a name for themselves. Uh, interesting that you mentioned Sam Brown. That was another player that um, Dana Hongerson talked about um, during the practice leading up. Or he's, he's been a player that's made a lot of plays during training camp early on. And he said um, in that clip when they went and, and did a couple of red zone drills, he was making a lot of plays for the offense. And that's what the Cougars want. And that's what they're going to try to continue to something that they were able to excel in a year ago in that red zone scoring offense. That's going to be something that's crucial, not only um, when it comes to the season, but with the t- this team's expectations that they're trying not only to get back to the American Athletic Championship game, they're trying to win it. Um, and uh, another position that we haven't talked to that's been um, – there is a position battle, and you're not necessarily going to hear much about it just because of um, – it's not a skill position when it comes to receiver, running back, but there's been a kicking battle brewing um, now that they lost Dalton Witherspoon, um, who is the the longtime kicker for the Houston Cougars the last few seasons. And this is something that Dana Hogerson touched on as well as who's going to be the kick returner for Houston. Obviously, of course, now that they're not going to have Marcus Jones. Yeah, there's no Marcus. <laughs> there's, there's, uh, we, have, we have some guys that, that to choose from, you know, uh, Tank is is fine. Uh, you know, Matt Golden is is very gifted uh, catching kicks. Uh, Peyton Sawyer has, has has looked really good. Uh, he's looked good on offense too. He's probably our second leading receiver as far as targets and catches right now in camp. I've been very happy with him. Uh, he'll get a look in the in the return game. Jace Rogers uh, is very mature. Uh, never thought I'd say that, but very mature. <laughs> and uh, has been playing very well, not only on defense, but in the return game as well. 
still a battle. I, we've lined up and kicked more field goals uh, in, up in 10 practices than I ever have, ever. Uh, we've got a lot of good work. Uh, they're competing, you know, so at some point we're going to have to make a decision, but we're not ready to do that at this point. So there, right there, um, when it came to the kick return battle, a lot of names that he mentioned, um, did any stand out to you? And, and, and really going back to what we touched on at the beginning with the receivers, um, a lot of versatility among a lot of these players that, again, opportunity for them to be able to, to be impact players for the Cougars in 2022. Yeah, Matthew Golden, uh, I think he said he's very gifted. Of course, um, Tank will be back there. Uh, we know I know Tajon Henry returned some kicks last year, but with him now going to the starting role, I'm not surprised that he didn't mention him. So that was kind of I was wondering that, but he kind of kind without saying kind of solidified that in my mind. And so uh, sounds like he wants someone with good hands to be able to catch it first back there. Maybe even um, Jace Rodgers. He mentioned him last, but I expect a receiver back there, either Tank or them two, and Matthew Golden, one of the receivers back there, returns some kicks. No, for sure. And something that was not heard on that clip, but something he told our reporters um, was that he does not want Tejon Henry to be back there returning kicks, just like you mentioned, Dayon. Um, really, the, the big responsibility they're going to put on him being the, the featured back uh, for, for the season. So that's going to be something that you're probably likely not going to see um, in 2022. But again, like you mentioned, uh, Matthew Golden, another player that, that Tank Dell has been high on, um, and there's been a lot of expect not expectations, but there's been a lot of praise uh, for him early on in training camp. Now I want to transition over to the kicking battle. Like I mentioned, something that uh, is not going to make headline news, but it's going to be an important position. And when you and when it comes to the kickers, one of the players that uh, I hate to say separate himself because, like you heard Dana Hoverson say in the clip, it's too still too early to call. Um, but uh, one player that he's mentioned specifically by name is Bubba Baxter, who uh, transferred over from Miami, and he is the senior on the team when it comes to the kicking position. Might have a leg up on the competition, no, no pun intended there. Um, but when you look at a lot of the other names, um, whether it's uh, Caleb Mendes, Trevor Herberg, I know that uh, Kyle Ramsey has been another kicker that's been on the team for a while. It'll be interesting to see X position, um, really an important position, especially when it comes to, to college football. If you have a veteran kicker that they've had in the luxury and when it comes to Dalton Witherspoon the last couple of seasons where more often than not, they have a lot of confidence in, in him being able to hit field goals uh, that were inside the 40-yard line. Um, that was something that was a big benefit to Houston. Now it's going to be interesting to see now that it's not Witherspoon who can kind of step up and and play that important role that's probably not going to get a lot of eyeballs, certainly not during camp. But it's a very important position, especially in football, no matter what level, um, college, pro, high school, it doesn't matter. You have a reliable kicker as close football games are, come down to a one-possession game, whether it's a close game, you need a three to tie, whatever the scenario is. You need a confident kicker, not only that, for extra points. Extra points have become very, very important in football now, and, and as they're always been. So you need a, a kicker that you can rely on. And with Bubba Baxter, he has experience, the most experience from any of these kickers. And so you, you want the moment not to be too big for them. If someone with experience, you expect for them to step into that role. And so can't wait to see it. It's a lot of question marks, but we'll get our answer soon. And that's going to do for a football talk coming right up on Potslam and Jamal will focus on the women's basketball team now that they have unveiled their non-conference schedule and they will also start their season on November 7th. We'll talk more about their schedule coming right up on Potslam and Jamal. 
Continuing on here on Podslam Majama, Dayan and Andy, of course, continuing here on our last segment. And the women's basketball team preseason schedule just dropped. And then I'm really looking at it, Andy, and they have – I say it's a really good schedule. A lot of the teams, three teams that I'm looking at, made the NCAA tournament last year. Um, they beat Louisiana, New Mexico last year. But you look at Washington State, they made it to the tournament. Kansas State made it to the tournament. Florida is a really a formidable, formidable team in the SEC. Florida State, the team that they beat last year, who um, Layla Blair had a really good game, 20 points. And so I think it's a really good schedule. Any of these games stick out to you? No, yeah, for sure. Uh, like you mentioned, uh, Kansas State, that's probably going to be the toughest game, at least on paper, that sticks out first just of what they were able to accomplish uh, a season ago. And uh, taking a page out of a uh, friend of the show, Chris Gardner at the Houston Round Ball Review, looking at the NET rankings, the net rankings, um, Kansas State is the highest rated team, at least when you look at from a season ago, uh, there were 38 in the net, and that's the, the highest ranking of any opponent that the UH women's basketball team is going to face this season. But uh, a lot of teams you mentioned, Florida, uh, Florida State, obviously, of course, those are the the really the, the big games that stick out, especially that Florida State game, because it's going to be at home at Fertitta Center. Um, but I, I think it's going to be interesting as well that they're going to that game to open up the season November 7th against Louisiana. Um, obviously, the, the season opener is always a, a, you know, a good game to be able to catch an eye um, just in terms of the excitement of the season, of a new season that kicks off. But I think overall, those 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 have got to be the three games that stick out early on in the non-conference schedule just because of um, the level of talent against the opponents. And those are going to be the ones that are marquee, something that uh, it's going to be interesting when you look at. The, the way they kicked off their non-conference a season ago, um, where they had lined up a lot of strong opponents, especially in the in the Cancun Challenge, I believe, um, where they played. Uh, I know they played Baylor, and, and, and correct me if I'm wrong. It was Florida, it Florida, Arizona State, yeah, yeah. That it, that was a tough uh, multi-team event to be a part of, and really, when when you looked at once they got into American Athletic Conference play, um, th- there was a couple of games where. Um, considering what they had done in the 2020-21 season, um, depending on uh, the schedule, it was a much tougher schedule, and they they tested themselves early. And um, one can make the argument once they got into American Athletic Conference play, um, it helped them a little bit. Now, obviously, of course, the way the 21-22 season ended is not um, where Houston wanted to be, just what they had been been able to accomplish the year before. So it's going to be interesting to see. I think this is a much more, uh, if I would say, balanced schedule than it was a year ago, just in terms of they have those three opponents that are going to be good tests. And then there's a good mix, um, at least when you look at the net rankings, where uh, teams that are that are ranked higher, which in this instance is not not um, better. And obviously, of course, we look at, um, like I mentioned, Kansas State, who's going to be the highest ranked or the lowest ranked, which in this case means uh, better this 38th. So I think they're going to have a couple of teams that are good challenges. I think there's a good mix. I think there's going to be a better opportunity for this season for them to be able to get off um, on the right foot, if that makes sense. What stood out to you? Yeah, I mean, the games that you mentioned in the non-conference schedule, but as well as UT Arlington, that's a team that they lost to last yeah. year, the team that yeah. made it to the NCAA tournament game. It actually surprised a lot of people and had a really good season. They returned some players, and they had that game at home. It went into overtime, and at that time when they lost that game, a lot of people were wondering, but then they got to see how, how good that um, UTA team is, 
his was last season. So that's going to be a really good game. But like you said, I, I, th- I think it's well-balanced because their schedule was so tough last year and the games that they had back-to-back and the turnarounds. And so um, I, I think it's well-balanced. Uh, still, Portland is a good team who won over 20 games last year. And so, I mean, I know the net ranking and stuff is one thing, but it's a solid non-conference schedule. But more importantly, I think it's one that they can handle and they can get off to a good start with a, a really good record before they get into conference play. So I think the non-conference schedule is going to um, – it's satisfying. I think Coach Huey, which will have availability um, tomorrow, we're recording this on Wednesday, um, August the 18th. He'll have it tomorrow the 19th. And so we'll get to hear what he has to say and we'll have that on the next episode. But I think I think it's a formidable um, – formidable non-conference schedule for sure and i think and dan i'd love to get your perspective on this but when you look at the roster um that's coming back for the women's basketball team a lot of veteran experience and what i mean by that there's a lot of upperclassmen on the team and i I was looking at um the research before we came to the show um they have six juniors in incoming on this new team they have five seniors and one graduate uh, student on the team so this is not going to be um when it comes to non-conference this is not going to be a team that that enters the season they're going to be um wet behind the ears of for the lack of a better term just in terms of experience this is going to be a team where they've been through it they know what it's like to start off the season i think that's going to be a, a schedule where honestly i wouldn't be surprised if they can pile together a strong non-conference and they have a lot of buzz heading into the american athletic conference play for sure. Uh, I agree with you 100%. I think, and like Coach Sampson said a while back, how his best players is his best leaders. I think Coach Huey is going to have that this season. His best players are going to be his best leaders, starting with Layla Blair. Then you get into Bria Patterson and Tiara Young, and then Tatiana Hill, uh, along with Brittany Onyeje. His best players are going to be his best leaders. And they're going to be bought in. They're going to be hungry. And more importantly, they have the talent. They're going to have the chemistry to be able to get done. And they want to prove that last year didn't go the way they wanted and they can get into that tournament. So like you said, I think they will be able to pile up some wins and really build their confidence really high going in into their conference schedule, in which I think they really succeed. I went out on a limb and said that I think this team is going to make it to the tournament. I expect them to win the conference as well. I know South Florida is going to be really good, as they always are. But I expect Layla Blay and Tierra Young to really um, – start the season on a tear. I think they're going to really tear it up, but it's kind of just looking at um, their classmen and like they don't really, they haven't scheduled in or factored in, I should say, the COVID years because like Layla came in the same year as as Jamal Shedd, but he's listed as a sophomore where she's listed as a junior. And so same thing with Tierra, she's listed as a junior in which her last year before she transferred at, at LSU was a COVID year. And so I wonder with some of these players, do they have more avail- like that extra year of availability that it just isn't listed, but just whether they have it or not. I think they're going to be a good team, upper class team, and their leaders are really going to lead and going to see substantial growth as far as to be able to have good highs and not not good so low. The season's going to be up and down, but I don't think they're going to have a drop off to where they lose like six games in a row. Yeah, and um, obviously, of course, like we mentioned at the top of the show, just in terms of where the University of Houston athletic program is overall as a whole, um, when it comes to obviously now they're under a year when they join the Big 12, um, it's going to be the same thing for the women's basketball team. They're going to be looking to um, maybe not necessarily as you 
phrase it specifically where they're trying to make a statement, but they're trying to make a good impression in their final year in the American Athletic Conference, like you mentioned, something that they haven't been able to do um, in especially the last few seasons has been get over that hump that has been uh, those Florida teams, uh, whether it be both UCF and USF. And like you mentioned, South Florida has always been um, kind of, uh, I hate to use this term but they've been kind of like the kryptonite for the houston cougars because they've had a lot of success when it comes to all the other teams in the american athletic conference except those two florida schools um so it's going to be interesting to see if in their final year in the american athletic conference obviously of course ucf is going to follow them to the big 12 but this is really going to be the the last chance that they have um especially when it comes to ron hewing the staff to be able to finally get that off their bucket list in the final year it'd be pretty pretty impressive they can win the american athletic conference yeah, because I expect a drop off this year from UCF with Coach Abe leaving to Georgia and mm-hmm. taking um, two of their key pieces there, Brittany, um, I can't remember her last name, but the Brittany Smith, along with Diamond Battles, who was the American Player of the mm-hmm. Year last year and also Defensive Player of the Year. So taking those two players, she took not taking them, but they followed her, I should say, and a couple of other players who were their bench players followed her as well. And so I'm expecting somewhat of a drop-off from UCF, and I expect it to be kind of a two-team race, but also there are going to be other teams that step up because it's going to be a good conference, so like some SMU. But it's going to be Houston to break through this year and win the conference. Yeah, Diamond Battles, a player that gave Houston a lot of problems Um Every time they would play during, whether it be during the conference schedule or in the American Athletic Conference tournament, that was a player that that um, certainly gave Houston a lot of um, trouble. So um, that's going to pretty much do it for today's episode. If you haven't done, done so already, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on YouTube. Subscribe to the Clutch City Control Room um, YouTube account if you are watching us on YouTube. Make sure to give this video a like. It really helps us out, and it takes five seconds to do it right now. Um, if you are watching on YouTube or you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, please be sure to give us ratings, give us some stars. That way we can be rating and we can be ranked on those platforms. As always, they and I'll let you say the final words so you can uh, sign us off. Yeah, make sure you do all those things. Make us your number one platform, but you can't leave without saying, go Cougs. <laughs>